Good morning, y'all. He is risen. Let's do it again. He is risen. Amen. Ooh, there we go. Work out the bugs. Welcome to the varsity. Y'all, so I have to tell you, um, at our house, indeed is a rough word. Um, Avery tends to call it the I word. Uh, see, we, we listened to a podcast over the last two years, right? For like, I don't know, this podcast that has 200 episodes, uh, 205 to be exact. And um, we've listened to it four times all the way through. We're on the fifth time through. Um, and so in these 200 episodes, the paid sponsor is indeed the uh, hiring site, right? And so every time it comes on, Avery's like, la, 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 la. Or she screams from the back seat to over, overcome it. But um, so indeed uh, is, is rough. So Avery was trying to come up with another, another way to say it. So when we say he is risen, he is risen for sure. <laughs> So way to go, Avery, for coming up with the, the affirmation that we need um, for He is Risen. Y'all, we are going to jump in to uh, Luke 24. We've been on this journey through Luke, and we are now to the final chapter. And um, Avery is actually going to help me read this. You want to come over here to this mic? Right there. All right, I'll start us out. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12 today, chapter 24 of Luke. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to like them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. Thanks, Ave. <laughs> when you see Avery later, give her a he is risen and see what she says. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you so much for this day and the good news that we have of your overcoming the grave, the good news of life, and that you offer it to us. So be with us as we hear and we dive into this word today. God, it is yours. We are yours. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Are we looking for life in all the wrong places? As we dive into the scripture text for today, we start out being oriented to a specific day and time. Right? It is the first day of the week. See, the Sabbath day was the last day of the week. It was the seventh day remembering the day that God rested, that day of creation, the seventh day. So this is the first day, but you can also think of it as the eighth day. Did you know there were eight days of the week? I've been trying to find another day of the week to get everything done that needed to be done. There it is. But then it turns out it's also the first day. So it keeps this cycle going, right, of the first, first day. But the eighth day being this idea, the number eight in Scripture, being this idea of new creation, symbolizing new beginnings or regeneration. And then it tells us that this was very early in the morning. How many of you get up very early in the morning? Like, this is, all right, I see a couple of hands, right? Like, most of us would still be in bed right now if we could. But this is not just very early. The actual, the literal Greek translation here is deep dawn. And I love that image. I actually love being up early before the sun. When the birds first start singing, right? When it is, the day is coming to life. You can just see enough light on the horizon to know that the sun is still out there, right? That it is, it is coming, but it may still be two hours before it cracks the horizon. So this is the deep dawn of the morning on the first day of the week. And the women in that darkness, barely light, find their way to the tomb. Shout out to the women for getting up early and going to see. Also, shout out to the women who made our uh, potluck yesterday. You know, we had our first potluck as a church in like almost three years. Um, so shout out to the women who were there to get it all going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, there were no men to be seen on the setup side of that. Um, we'll talk about that later. Uh, Got to pull our weight, fellas. Uh, but let's, let's talk for a minute about the significance of the women being the first at the tomb. Right? If you were trying to build a solid, credible testimony in a patriarchal society, you would not have women as your star witness or storytellers to go forward. And so for the women to be there, to be the first to find the empty tomb, right? And that this story lives on for thousands of years, the truth revealed through the words, through the mouths of these women. We celebrate that. And as we get into looking at this, this story, Right? It is a story that is told in all four of the Gospels. But we have to also just pause and take note that the Gospels tell the story a little bit differently. Right? There are four different accounts, and each of them pull forward different details. And sometimes this can be off-putting. They're like, why couldn't they get it straight? Couldn't they have gotten together and like actually tried to tell this in the same way? But with any story, right, with any experience that we have, even if we have the same experience, we might remember different details. 
And so the human element of coming to this and what sticks in their mind as important details to them to tell the story of the empty tomb are the stories or experiences that you have like that. I'm thinking back just two weeks ago. Y'all, when we were in this theater watching an epic historic game, and then we rushed Franklin Street, right? There are, um, like, the estimates were 30 to 40,000 people on Franklin Street after. And so, right, we all had different perspectives as we step out onto the street. Even those of us who were here and together might have a different experience or different details that stick in our mind that we retell over and over and over again. And to our Duke fans who are in the room or watching online, we love you. We love you. <laughs> and you tell the story a little bit differently too, right? <laughs> but whether you, you experienced it out here on the street in front of the varsity or you experienced it down on West Franklin Street, there were different perspectives, but all in all, Right there was one common theme. There was the win of a basketball game and the celebration as people flood Franklin Street. The Gospels tell of the unfolding of this amazing, blessed morning with different details. And so today we're looking at that specifically through the Gospel of Luke. But all four of them have a common thread. The tomb was found empty. In order to embrace this and to get into it, we have to embrace the mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Y'all, there is mystery in the Christian faith. To follow Jesus, there is an embracing of mystery. We can't have all of the answers. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't mean we shouldn't educate ourselves and we shouldn't learn all of the historic contexts and the details diving into scripture, but there is always gonna be an element of mystery. And I personally love that, that we can't explain it all. The fact is, as I was preparing for today, the reality, I don't know why I'm this dense, but that it just hit me, that there is no eyewitness testimony of the resurrection itself. The actual act of resurrecting, how that happened, is a mystery. Right? The kids were asking me last night as we were getting into this story before bed, what time did this happen? What time did Jesus get up out of the grave? I'm like, actually, who knows? We don't know what time it actually happened. They were like, so 1201, we can start saying he is risen? Because since Avery doesn't like the word indeed, Riley wants to say the word indeed. So the faster we could get there, then, <laughs> then we, we would do that. It's like, not 1201. Let's save it until the sun's up at least. But we don't know if Jesus drop kicked the stone to start it rolling out of the way, right? We don't know if there was an open sesame kind of moment that it just peels back. Or maybe there's a super secret squirrel password of some kind. We just don't know. Was there a flash of light behind the, the rock when it happened? Mystery. Embrace the mystery. In this, the translation actually where it says, he has risen. The verb there is he has been risen. And I love that this takes it beyond just 
Jesus being there and somehow activating himself, right, to come out of that grave. But there is an agency where God the Father and the Holy Spirit are in on this. This is a Trinity moment that was planned before the foundation of the world. And in this moment, it all comes to be. And we will not know on this side of heaven how, but I can't wait to hear the story. So let's imagine for a moment the women walking into that empty tomb. Right? They walk in and it's, it's open unexpectedly, first of all. We don't know how exactly that it opened. One of the Gospels says an earthquake and an angel. Luke doesn't give us the details. It just says the tomb was open. But for them, what might have been going through their mind? When's the last time you misplaced your keys? For me, that was earlier this week. I was in a little bit of a panic for like three days. So um, when's the last time, this is, all right, when's the last time you left your phone somewhere, right? The feeling of panic, right? Like I'm in the car on the way to the grocery store. Am I going to make it? I have left my phone. <laughs> or that I just don't remember where it is for like three minutes, right? Now, don't go out of here saying your pastor equated Jesus' body being missing with your phone or your keys being missing, okay? That's not the point. But that feeling of just a moment, we can, like, resonate with, like, something being lost. Like, we know we put the body of Jesus here, and it's not there. So what, what might have happened, right? All of the things going through their minds and really... The empty tomb in that moment must feel like a place of despair, a place of confusion, right? Were there grave robbers? Were there, was there a wild animal that got in here? What might have happened to the body of our friend? Where has it gone? And then you gotta love in this moment, the next verse, verse four says, then out of nowhere, while they were wondering about this, right? While all of those scenarios are running through their minds, suddenly two men clo with clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Have you ever tried to look at lightning? I don't recommend it. Yo, but it must have been so disjarring, right? Like, you're jarring that they have this flash of light that comes out of nowhere. Luke here describes them as two men, like lightning. We see in the other Gospels and, and make the assumption, right, that they are angels. They are heavenly beings. And this description of being like lightning, we see in two other places, specifically in Scripture. One is on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Remember when Jesus is there with the disciples, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Elijah and Moses just show up, and they look, they are gleaming like lightning. Jesus himself transfigures and is bright like lightning. And then also when Jesus ascends, 
there are two angels or two men there described also as beaming, gleaming like lightning in that place. And so this idea that angel or these heavenly beings that humans are encountering in this space. It's also worth noting that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was likely also with them going to the tomb that morning. And so for her, I wonder if the others are like, was this when they told you the news that you're going to have this baby? That the angel showed up to her. It's this thin space. We talked about these thin spaces before where heaven and earth overlap. Culturally thinking, we, we often ascribe heaven to some far-off place. But instead, the reality of heaven overlapping with earth. It's like a Venn diagram for those of you who like Venn diagrams, right? Like, here's heaven and here's earth. There's an overlap right there in the middle. <laughs> and the heavenly beings come through. And I think of it, that gleaming white lightning look. Think of how we see the moon, right? The moon, when we see it in the sky, and y'all at the Good Friday service, it came out absolutely gorgeous after the service. The moon just came up over the horizon. And the moon there, reality that that is reflecting the sun, right? That is reflecting the sun to us, and we can see it. And as these heavenly beings are there, that humans can see them, right? That these women can see them. I think of it as they are reflecting right, the light of God himself to us, right? That we can barely even look on them. So this revelation, these words to the women from these heavenly beings, in that thin space, they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Or why do you look for the one, the one who is living? Why do you look for him among the dead? To which I feel like they wanted to reply, um, we actually were expecting him to still be dead. <laughs> we were expecting to find the dead among the dead. But here we are, right? And the tomb is empty. And though they came expecting the dead, the angels tell them, he is not here. He has risen. And then they tell, tell the women, remember? Remember that time when Jesus said, while he was with you, he said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. We actually find those words back a little earlier in Luke, in chapter 9, verse 22. It is right after the feeding of the 5,000, and it is right after Peter makes the declaration for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus' words, almost immediately after that, 
Like, yeah, you see that I'm the Messiah. Let me tell you now how that's going to go. That I'll be delivered to the hands of sinners and be crucified. And then on the third day be raised again. So the lights come on, right? For the women, like there's, oh, wait, we did hear that. This memory, right? And putting it in that place of remembering the miracle of the 5,000. Them being there with Peter as he makes that declaration. And then to see, oh, Jesus meant what he said. He can be trusted when you realize, right? Think about that for you when you realize, oh, this is somebody I can trust. This comes to life for them that Jesus meant what he said and that we can trust his word. And so there they are in the empty tomb. I wonder, are we content with the empty tomb? Are we okay with Jesus just being a historic figure? Are we okay even that Jesus might be this perfect example or a hero for us? We can't be content with just that. We can't be content with just the empty tomb, right? We can't get hung up in that place. We have to see beyond the empty tomb. That is where the hope lies. It is beyond the empty tomb because the women don't get stuck in that place, right? As curious as they may be in that place, once the lights come on, right? And there is a remembering, Jesus said this would happen. We don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but we remember Jesus said this would happen. And the disciples who go find it, they don't, they go look, they're intrigued also, but they don't get stuck in the empty tomb. I love that actually today there are multiple places that are debated where that tomb actually was. There are multiple sites in Israel that would, folks, scholars would say, this is where it was, or this is where it was, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or the Garden Tomb. I'm on Team Garden Tomb, but that's okay. But with all respect to archaeology, and archaeology like, has taught us so much and brought us to this place, for this reality, we can honestly say, who cares, right? Like, this is, it doesn't matter where that empty tomb was. What matters is that there was an empty tomb, and that now he is alive again. The women saying, like, could this really be? Could it really be that he is alive? That is what the angels have told us. What do we do now? But they told us, go tell the others. And we'll see over and over and over again that Jesus reveals himself. He reveals himself meeting people where they are. The revelation that he is alive comes even to those first disciples in different places. He doesn't meet them all in the same place at the same time to reveal that he is alive again. And in the same way he meets us where we are, he meets you. He's ready to meet you today where you are to reveal that he is alive says the women, 
Mary, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, the mother of James, a.k.a. Mary, mother of Jesus, people who have been among the closest disciples from the earliest days. That's who we're working with here, who went that morning and who are now coming back to tell that good news. We see those women actually named together also in Luke 8. They're named together with Jesus as Jesus shares the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower and the seeds, right, that are planted along the path. We're here now, the women get to take these seeds and go back and plant them among the disciples to see what happens next. They get to the 11 disciples, right, that, that are gathered, and the women start to speak. And the disciples gathered there, say they weren't even making sense. It was like they were babbling, like maybe they even were so feverish, right, that they were like, they couldn't even put a cohesive sentence together, trying to explain what they have seen, what they have experienced for themselves in the empty tomb, encountering the angels knowing that they now have to share this good news. Peter hears enough. He hears enough that he is intrigued and he has to go see for himself. It says, Peter got up and he ran. He ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This word wondering, we can often have that in the context of like maybe confused or trying to figure it out, but probably better built. Some, some translations give that to us as Peter is amazed. Peter is amazed at what has happened because making that connection just as as the women did, right? That Jesus said this would happen. Peter's like in the inner circle, inner circle, right? He's hearing from Jesus leading up to this, what would happen. And those memories start to come back. That Jesus said this would happen. And so to be amazed, right? We, we don't have to fear death. Because Jesus himself has done what none of us could ever do. To defeat the power of sin and death. But it wasn't just for that. He did that, that we might live. That we might live. And it wasn't just that one grave in that one place, in that one time. But indeed, death itself is overcome. Sorry, Avery, I said indeed. But now on to the living. Right? We never forget the mighty acts of what Jesus has done. The wonder of the empty tomb, his death, his burial, and then the empty tomb. We remember all of those things, but for the purpose of our living life to the fullest. Our friend J.D. Walt describes this, and, and if you are followers of the daily text, then you, you have heard this a time or two. 
But there's a first half of the gospel, right? That we are saved from the power of sin and death. We are saved and there is an empty tomb. But then there's a second half of the gospel that we are saved not just from something, but to something. We are saved to live life in the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit to participate in the mission of Jesus. So an Easter tide here and now, Jesus is alive and revealing himself. In the celebration and the remembrance of Passover, Jesus is alive and revealing himself. In this season of Ramadan, Jesus is alive and revealing himself. In a world continuing to be plagued by a pandemic, Jesus is alive and revealing himself. In the midst of war, senseless, uncomprehendable war, Jesus is alive and revealing himself. In the death of a loved one, Jesus is alive. He's revealing himself. In some of the worst droughts that our planet has ever seen, Jesus is alive. He's revealing himself. In the midst of violence, in the midst of increasing wealth gaps, hunger, housing crisis, y'all, Jesus is alive. He's revealing himself. And the crazy thing is, y'all, he's using us. You, you, as you live life with Jesus, are revealing him. No pressure. He calls us to deeper places to cry out like the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What does it look like? when we answer the call to be active participants in the mission of Jesus. Remember from way back in Luke when Jesus started his ministry, his proclamation of the mission to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he invites us into it, where we get to be rooted in life with him through his word 
and answering the call, the invitation to participate in his mission. So whether you want to answer that call for the first time today, he is saying, here is life. I am alive again, and I invite you to life with me. Or if you've been following him for a while, and he's calling you to deeper places, to the next level, there's a next step for all of us because he's always calling us to deeper places of obedience and participation. So whether for the first time or the hundredth time, he's inviting you again today. All of us, whether for the first time or the hundredth time, he's inviting us to his table. He's inviting us to participate in this table to find ourselves among the living. Looking beyond the empty tomb, to know that his body was broken for you and that his blood was poured out for you. He did it so that you might live. Here's to the resurrection, y'all. He's inviting you to come to the table today. I invite our servers to come. And as we get to participate in this table and be found among the living, we get to make your way out to this aisle, serve you with a piece of bread and the cup to represent his body and his blood, broken and poured out for you. Then as you receive it, come back across the front and back to your seat. Will you pray with me? God, when our eyes sometimes are fixed on just the empty tomb, that place where your body was laid, that place where hope comes out of despair. God, help us to see beyond the empty tomb this morning, to see that you are alive and that you are inviting us to life with you, that we may have it to the full. So, Lord, may we taste and see today your goodness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come to the table.